right, thank you. Kids, appreciate that. I want to thank you for uh, those of you who pray for our ministry. It, uh, I, I know I say that every time I come here, but I think the older I get, the more I realize um, how dependent, and that's a, I, I chose that word on purpose, how dependent we are uh, on God's people for your prayers and your thoughts and your love and your texts and your emails and your phone calls and your cards and gifts. It's just, it's really encouraging, especially, especially since winter's coming. And uh, uh, I'm not going to lie to you, I, I prefer street evangelism more when I can feel my toes. <laughs> That's just me, I guess. I'm a little funny that way. Uh, but, uh, you know, especially during the winter, if you would uh, lift us up in prayer, we'd sure appreciate that. It uh, can be challenging, for sure. Let's turn in our Bibles to Second Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4. Um, <clears throat> I do want to give a quick, I'm not going to spend a long time on this, but uh, already somebody has approached me uh, and asked about our new place, where we're living, so on and so forth. You heard through email, through Facebook. Uh, most of you, I'm sure that uh, we don't live in Tatamagush anymore. We, we lived there from 1999 till uh, June of this year, about 17 years. And uh, we had prayed for, you know, for, I don't know, four, five, six years about, you know, Lord, if you want us to move, then, uh, you know, be closer. Well, if you live in Tatamagush and you move, you're pretty much closer to anything, really. Uh, <clears throat> so, uh, so anyway, this guy, I had, we had this neighbor who lives in Alberta who comes, uh, she's only in town for about four to six weeks, and she just wreaks havoc the whole time she's there. And so what I did is I mentioned verbally to my next-door neighbor, hey, one of these days I'm going to sell this place, and I'll give you first crack at it. He goes, because this woman likes to buy everything up. Don't sell it to her, whatever you do. He says, I'll buy it before you sell it to her. I said, okay. So, so anyway, this guy, he's in his 70s. And while well, he had verbally mentioned to a friend of his who's 88 years old, hey, you should talk to Kirk about buying his house. He's going to sell it. Well, I get a call uh, January. I, I was somewhere away and just before retired for the night on Sunday night. I checked my messages. Hey, Kirk, it's Aubrey next door. I got a guy who wants to come over tomorrow and buy your house. Give me a call. What? Honey, listen to this. She's like, what? Anyway, uh, long story short, uh, I'll shorten it because, you know, we got more important things to do here. But, uh, yeah, uh, we sold our house to this guy. Uh, he said, I don't, I, don't, I don't trust lawyers. He says, we'll both use my lawyer and we'll, I'll pay all the legal fees. Okay. No, no point in wasting 6% of your money. We won't go through a realtor. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. You know, anyway, uh, just that's the way it works. So <clears throat> we sold our house in Tatamagush. <coughs> now, you know, when you sell a house in Tatamagush, you don't, you know, live high on the hog by any means. It's not that extravagant, but, uh, you know, it's... Uh, it's a good down payment towards whatever the Lord has for us next. And so now, currently, we're renting a little house next to Denise's parents. My wife's, actually, on, our next-door neighbors on one side are Denise's parents, and the next-door neighbor on the other side of her house is Denise's grandfather, who's almost 90. And so every day, the kids see their 
great-grandparents and great-grandfather, and it's kind of nice. And we're renting from Denise's uh, little sister, actually, who's married to an RCMP officer in uh, Labrador. The house is just sitting there empty. So I called him up, and I said, hey, you want to rent me your place? And I'm thinking, oh, I haven't rented in, since I was married in 95. I'm thinking, how, uh, you know. He says, oh, would $280 a month be too much rent for you, Kirk? No, I think we could swing that. That'd be great. I'm renting a house for two. You should see Mark Swatsky's face right now. He's like, what? You are not serious. And that's uh, lots of my phone. But honestly, Mark's face, I might have just told him I was a half Martian. and He would have been less surprised. Anyway, uh, yeah. Now, don't get too excited. It's a small house. The house is 22 feet by 22 feet. So it's not, now some of you ladies got that same look Mark just had on his face, like, what? Uh, but, you know, it's three levels. There's a basement for the homeschooling, and, the, and then there's a kitchen, living room, dining room, the main floor, and then there's three bedrooms and a small bathroom upstairs. So that's what we got. But uh, we're thankful, and we're just praying. If you would pray with us that God would guide us to where he wants us next. This is not <clears throat> a, temp- a permanent thing, I don't believe, but it might be. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, we're just we're just praying. We just want God's will. And uh, I like that verse in Psalm 32. It says, "I will guide you with mine eye." I just want to do what God wants, and so I don't really want to do what Kirk wants. I've done that too many times in my life. So we're just uh, yeah. If you'd pray with us where God wants us next, might be Halifax, might be Moncton, might be Charlottetown, might be Fredericton, might be Saint John. I don't know. I don't know where the Lord wants us, but. So if you'd pray with us, we'd sure appreciate that. And thank you to those who have been praying. All right, we're in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine, for the time shall come when they shall not endure some doctrine, for after their own lust they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turn, turned excuse me, to fables. But watch thou in all things, or be sober in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of your ministry. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for each one who's here. By your providence, each one is sitting in each and every seat where they are seated right now. And we ask you, Lord, to clear our mind, Father God, of all distractions and help us to focus uh, as clearly as we possibly can in these uh, next moments together. Uh, May your Holy Spirit uh, show us maybe even new things that we've never seen before and, of course, remind us of old truths that we've learned in years past And I pray that every one of us will be a little bit more conformed to the Lord Jesus as a result of our time together in your word. So God, give us ears to hear. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, I would like to focus on verse verse number five. There's a fourfold challenge in in verse five. I was going to preach the whole five verses, verses one to five, but I thought to myself, no, I'm starting to know myself. After 45 years on this planet, uh, there's no way. If we, if we do all five verses, we're not going to be out of here before 1230 for sure. So I thought, well, we'll just focus in on verse number five. Uh, there's a fourfold 
challenge here from Paul to his son of the faith, Timothy. Four things. Number one, be watchful in all things. Or some of you may have something there that says something like this. As for you, be always sober-minded. The second one is to endure afflictions. The third one is to do the work of an evangelist. And the fourth one is to make full proof of your ministry or to fulfill your ministry. So let's just get right into it here. Number one, we're to watch in all things. Or the word watch gives the idea of being attentive, of paying attention to what's going on. Kind of rings of, uh, well, this word watch is many times. We'll just look at one. You might want to keep a marker in 2 Timothy 4, and let's jump back a little bit to Mark chapter 13. The words of the Lord Jesus in Mark chapter number 13. <coughs> this is... This, this watch, this idea of watch, watch and pray, is, is, is a pretty common theme throughout the, um, throughout the New Testament. Verse 35, Mark 13, verse 35, Watch therefore, for you know not when the master of the house comes, at evening, at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest... Coming suddenly, he finds you sleeping. For what I say unto you, I say unto all. What's the last word? Watch. That's the idea. That's the exact same word that's being used here in 2 Timothy chapter 4 as we go back to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Watch in all things. The idea, some of the other versions say this. They say to be sober-minded, to be clear-minded, to be alert of what's going on. Um, the idea is to be sober, to be serious, to be, to be mindful, not just kind of floating along, not really know what's going on. What's, uh, <coughs> I don't know. You know how when you step away from something and then you step back to it and you think, you, you notice things that you don't normally notice when you're not there. Let me give you an example. Usually we're pretty busy in the summer. Oh, I forgot to give you a summer report. Uh, yeah, we just... We put on about 11,000 kilometers on our vehicles this summer, going to Bible camps and uh, preaching the gospel all over the Maritimes. I, anyway, I blew that. I forgot to give you a little... Well, you guys, I think, have a pretty good idea because Bible camps in New Brunswick and Quebec and Wharf Rat Rally and Digby, Nova Scotia and different things going on. It's all, most of it's in that prayer letter out in the foyer there. As we, as you, we step away... Uh, we don't usually have time in the summertime <clears throat> to watch uh, television, and then the Blue Jays get into the playoffs, and all of a sudden I find myself watching a little more television. I watch that, uh, I don't know if anybody cares about baseball, but that sweet home run that Edwin Encarnacion hit to knock out the Baltimore Orioles in the bottom of the 10th. Some of you are smiling, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And uh, we've got a PVR thing, so we don't have to watch commercials, but every once in a while, some of them will be on if I'm going getting something to drink or something. One of the beautiful things about the PBR is not having to watch commercials. But every once in a while, some of them get on there, and most of them are, are pretty uh, downright revolting, somewhat are just disgusting, so we don't try not to watch them. But every once in a while, you get, one gets on there. <clears throat> and I've noticed this trend. Maybe you haven't. The reason I've noticed it clearly in the last couple of weeks is because I, we haven't been watching a lot of it this summer, is that... A lot of it's just stupidness. Have you ever noticed this? A lot, these, a lot of these commercials today, they're just 
ridiculously stupid. Like the stupider, it's like they're trying to make them as ridiculous and stupid and as far-fetched as they possibly can. And, you know, okay, who doesn't like a laugh? I I probably spend as much time as the average person in this room, uh, you know, watching my share of fail videos on YouTube or something like that and watching these guys do stupid things. And, but but there, there's a time, there's a time to be serious. There's a time to be, there, there are people, I, I recently found out, <clears throat> because I'm over 40, somebody's under 30 knew this a long time ago, there, there are people that actually have a livelihood making stupid, ridiculous, foolish videos. That's what they do. They, they, they have their own channel on YouTube and they just go around and, and pull pranks and, and uh, you know, so, so some of it's kind of funny and some of it's just re- really absolutely... Some, some of them actually go around hurting each other. Like, like I saw this one guy, this guy stands there like this and, and his friend tees up a golf ball and hits a, a driver at this guy bare-chested and, and you know, then, they, then they all laugh at him while he rolls on the ground in pain. And I'm thinking to myself, there are people in hell today where their life was just a big joke. It was just a big laugh. It was just a big, the next ha-ha, what's around the corner? Like, do you see what I mean? The Bible says, the Bible says to watch in all things, to be sober-minded. Now, now I'm sure that if the Apostle Paul was alive today, that he'd probably tell a joke, and he would probably laugh at your joke. Uh, well, maybe not Mark Sawatsky's jokes, but, but most of our jokes he would probably laugh at. Sorry, Mark, I had to pick on you there. It's been a while. It's been a while since I picked on you. Uh, no, but, but, but I'm sure that the Apostle Paul had a sense of humor. Have you seen these videos? Uh, there's lots of videos of Jesus, and one of them is, is, is Jesus actually had a sense of humor. Like he's always laughing and he's always slapping Peter on the back and he's always smacking his knee and he's, la- he's having a good time. I don't think Jesus walked around all the time, 100% every day, you know, just uh, stone-faced. I think he smiled. I think he laughed. I think he had some expressions. But there's a time to be serious and there's a time to, to grow up. There's a time to... There's a time to, to, you know, there's a time to laugh, there's a time to weep, there's a time for war, there's a time for peace, and there's a time to be serious, especially, of course, when we come into the house of the Lord. I recently, somebody posted a video on YouTube this week of a guy, this massive church, I believe it was in Dallas, and to prove a point in his uh, sermon, I don't know if it was the beginning or the middle or the end, I don't know, I could only stomach about 60 seconds of it before I turned it off, he, he used... Uh, he, he held one end of a skipping rope, and, and there was a skipping rope competition, and he was trying to prove a point, and he was holding the rope. and It's just a big, big laugh fest, just a big fun fest. And now, I'm not saying it has to be a, you know, I have to come here and pretend it's every Sunday's a funeral, but it certainly shouldn't be a carnival. And I, I think, personally, I, as I listened to you folks singing, I thought, you know, these, these people understand there's a time to, to rejoice and sing, and that's great. And, and that last song was, was great, wonderful, praise the Lord. But there's a time to be serious, too, because we're talking about, we're talking about serious things. We're not talking, you know, it's, it's not all yucks and laughs. There's a time to be serious, especially when we're dealing with subjects like heaven and hell. Paul, Paul had a good... Uh, a good handle on this. We could turn, let's go back, let's, uh, let's go back to Acts chapter 20. Keep a marker here. Let's go back to Acts chapter 20. I think, I think, 
<coughs> Acts chapter 20, there's a good synopsis, I believe, of a well-rounded ministry. Paul kind of summarizes his ministry when he went to Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, verse 17, and from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and he called the elders of the church. By the way, if anybody should know when to be serious and when to be joking around, it's, it's the elders of the church. And so, and by the way, Paul is writing to an elder. He's writing to Timothy, right? So, so even though specifically the letters to Timothy, the, the application is to all of us. For when they were come to him, they, he said to them, you know how from the first day that I came into Asia, <clears throat> after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. It wasn't always fun and games. How I kept back nothing that was profitable to you, but showed you and taught you publicly from house to house. So he is busy doing the work of the Lord, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. I think Paul kind of summarizes this ministry really good here. He was, he was watchful. He was sober in all things. He was preaching. He was teaching. There were tears. There was humility. There was temptations. There was challenges because the Jews were trying to not just shut down his ministry, but shut down his pulse. And so <clears throat> as we go back to 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, be, be watchful, be mindful that we, live, we are living in the last days. Paul, Paul believed that he was living in the last days. And, and I'm not saying never crack a joke again as long as you live, but I am saying there's a time to, uh, to put the foolishness aside and think seriously about subjects like heaven and hell, about repentance, about, about justification, about sanctification, about glorification, about expiation, propitiation. I believe by the time you graduate high school, you should be able to define all of these terms biblically. Uh, <clears throat> all right, so let's keep going here. The second one is to, Paul says, to what? Endure what? Affliction. You see it there? Now, you don't have to go back very far to find out what Paul's talking about. Let's just flip a page or two and go back to chapter 2 of this same book. Chapter 2 <coughs> Paul, keeping in mind that 2 Timothy 4 is, is a letter written from Paul to Timothy, and, and he's, he's writing continued thoughts here. So, so the very same book, we shouldn't be surprised to see that Paul wrote earlier in chapter 2. Chapter 2, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. And the things that you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. You therefore, look what he says, hey, hey, hey Timothy, hey Timothy, you therefore, what's the next two words there? Endure hardness, is that what your Bible says? Or something to that effect? As a what? As a what? As a what? As a endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, some people think that once you get saved, once you repent of your sin and put your faith in Christ, that you've got your ticket to a pleasure ship. And you've got pina coladas and you've got lemonade, maybe if you're fortunate enough, maybe a little raspberry lemonade. And, uh, and you, you just kind of, there's lawn chairs and recliners, and you, we just kind of sail off into the sunset. 
<clears throat> with our uh, free ticket to heaven. But I don't, I don't really see it that way, especially because of verse 3. I, see, I, see, I don't see it really as a pleasure ship as much as a battleship where we've been called upon by our captain to, have, to go to our stations and do our jobs and do them diligently. And obviously, the stations are different. You know, uh, we're going to see that a little, a little later on when he says, make full proof of your ministry. Don't make full proof of his ministry or her ministry. We'll get to that in just a minute. But you, therefore, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, endure hardness. I, I really feel, I've actually had to uh, uh, apologize to, on, on occasion, not all the time, just people on the streets and they say, <clears throat> oh, you know, I, yeah, I, yeah I, was, uh, I, I did that whole baptism and church membership thing, Kirk, and uh, I prayed the prayer or whatever that is. And, yeah, but, you know, you know, the hardships that I had, I just decided it wasn't worth it. And I almost have to apologize on behalf of the person who should have told them the whole story and say, well, who made you think? think, who led you to believe that there wasn't going to be hardships as a Christian? Somebody misled you, unfortunately. I, I apologize to that person, because if somebody told you that becoming a Christian and you were going to have a carefree, easy life, well, I'm sorry, you were misled. As a matter of fact, I've got a friend of mine we were talking not too long ago, and he'll tell you openly that uh, the hardships, he didn't really have too many hardships until he became a Christian. And then, and then all of a sudden half his family wouldn't talk to him anymore and yada, 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 and just trials and tribulations. By the way, this was written 2,000 years ago. That, uh, I'm not saying there weren't hard times then. There certainly were. But uh, if you're going to, well, actually Paul says it best uh, in our next, look at chapter 3. I was just, just about, uh, I just about jumped ahead of myself there. Look at chapter 3, verse 10. And you, having fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, you can read about those in the book of Acts, we're not going to have time to, to go into details about those three locations. But he did say, Paul said in the book of Mark, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Paul could take his shirt off and say, yeah, yeah, that's Iconium. See that big gash there? Yeah, that's Iconium. And, uh, ooh, you see down here, it went right into my ribs. Uh, that, that, that was Lystra. I mean, the, the, Paul said, I, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Uh, verse 10 again, sorry. But you have fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, peace, persecutions, afflictions, which came to me at, at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall have a pretty sweet, easy life. Is that what your Bible says? No. Honestly, friends, I'm not telling, I'm not making, I, I, you know, sometimes evangelists are known to, 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 uh, to, to exaggerate. And I'm telling you, if I'm not making this up, if I had a dollar, somebody flipped me a loony for every time somebody said to me, oh, yeah, yeah, I went down that road, I was baptized, I did the whole thing. Oh, but then I had a drug. And then now everybody's got a story. And it's like, oh, now I don't believe it all. And, and normally, they're worse off 
after than they were before. Now they're twofold a child of hell. And, and reaching them with the gospel is twice as hard as it was beforehand because they were sold a bill of goods. They were told, oh, if you come to Jesus, you'll, you'll have a happy, easy life. It's, oh, really? Really? Have you read 2 Timothy chapter 2, chapter 3, or chapter 4? Uh, Paul says, they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We're go- um, uh, Paul, Paul, Paul taught that he was living in the last days. And I have no reason to doubt that obviously Paul can't lie or wouldn't lie to us, especially inspired of the Holy Ghost. But friends, if Paul's living in the last days, what are we living in? We're living in the last of the last days. We have to be. Well, for sure, we're one step. We're, we're closer to the return of the Lord Jesus than the church has ever been. We all agree there. There has never been a day in all of human history that, we are no, that we've been closer to the return of Christ than we are right now. And so if that verse was applicable 2,000 years ago, that they which live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, then uh, it's just as applicable, if not more so, today. Going back to chapter number 4, you, you may be required to share a jail cell in the next 10 to 15 years for saying Jesus Christ is the only way to God. People don't care if you say Jesus Christ is a way. Join the club on that one. There's there's lots of people who will join arms with you on that one. But if you say Jesus Christ is the only way to God, you better be prepared to start a jail ministry. That's, those days are not as far off as possibly we think they are. And there will be some other social issues as well. If you will stand up, if you will sign a paper that says homosexuality is a sin against the Creator God, be prepared to, to start a jail ministry. You say, oh, Kirk, come on. Get, oh, yeah, well, let's just see. Let's just wait and see. Uh, certainly 20 years ago, people would never dream where we've come to in the last 20 years. And things are moving exponentially in that direction. Uh, it, it may be a day in, in which, uh, I'm trying to think of another one that might land us in jail. Those are the top two that come to mind. But uh, certainly the exclusivity of Jesus. And if you're going to call out sin as sin, you're, you're going to pay the price. You're going to pay the price. There's just no two ways about it. Endure afflictions. Uh, did you know, I, I, don't, I don't have any confirmation that this is true, but I wouldn't be surprised in any way, shape, or form. But I've been told that our Chinese brothers and sisters, and not just China, but persecuted parts of the world, are praying for persecution to come to North America to refine the church of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? Because they know what it's like when persecution comes it's, number one, it separates the sheep from the goats, number one. But number two, it spreads the gospel. Do you remember in Acts chapter 7, Paul was there consenting to the death of the Lord Jesus. Do you remember that? And then in Acts chapter 8, uh, let me just read the verse here quick for you. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. So if it becomes illegal in Nova Scotia, to gather like this, 
If it becomes illegal to say Jesus Christ is Lord and we have to move out of Nova Scotia and we go taking the gospel with us and God has always used the persecution of the saints as the seed of the church. I, I know that sounds great on a Sunday morning and it sounds, you know, wow, the gospel's going forth. But it's, it's a lot harder when, uh, when it's your family members, when it's your house, when it's your private property, when it's your possessions, when it's your bank account. Ladies and gentlemen, the word before us this morning is to endure afflictions. Endure afflictions. Keeping in mind what we sang this morning, that we are more than conquerors through... You talk about being more than conquerors, that's, you're, 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 there's no authority there. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Jesus Christ... Is our, is our master. If Jesus Christ is our master, then we can endure afflictions. It's that simple. Question, did Jesus Christ, our master, endure afflictions? Yeah. Well, why would, if you're a follower of Jesus and Jesus endured afflictions, why would you think that you were exempt? Do you see that? Do you see that? He, he is our, if he's our master, if he's our king and he's our Lord, and he endured afflictions... Well, then it only makes sense that, that we would be called upon to endure afflictions. Am I looking forward to them? Obviously not. I'm doing everything in my power to stay out of jail. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I have no desire to leave my wife and kids and start a jail ministry, but maybe it's going to come to that someday. And if you ever hear that Kirk Kubik's been tossed in jail, know that it's not because he wants to be there. Okay? I, I'm, I, I, I say that tongue-in-cheek, but I'm, I've seen my share of open-air preachers on TV, and you would think that they want to start a jail ministry, the way that they go about, the way they talk to the police, the way they talk to sinners and stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Anyway, let's keep going here. Number one, we're to watch in all things. Number two, we're to endure afflictions. Number three, we are to do the work of an evangelist. Now, I don't believe Paul was speaking here to an evangelist. He was speaking to a, a, probably a, a, a pastor, teacher, an elder, and I, I don't. There's no indication in Scripture that that Paul, that Timothy had this gifting of evangelism. I don't even use to like personally. I know there's there's some debate over Ephesians four and so on and so forth. Uh, verse eleven, he gave some apostles, some teachers, some evangelists. I I understand that, but but I think. Well, I don't want to open a whole can of worms here, but, but I think that somehow this one verse, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, has, in some people's minds, trumped Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. Yeah, there's apparently an office for the evangelist, but there's no indication that Peter, Paul has, uh, excuse me, Timothy has one, and he's been instructed by his father in the faith to do the work of an evangelist. To do the work of the evangelist. Some people say, well, you know, I, I'm not really gifted that way. Well, I, I understand. I understand that sentiment. But that's not an excuse to disregard and disobey verse number five. I understand that some people will find it easier than others. I understand that. As a matter of fact, I can't remember if I shared this here or not before. If I did, it's probably been a couple years, so I might as well repeat it. I remember the day that me and this guy named Jay Summers 
We're, we're sent out in twos. There were a bunch of us. And, and our, our goal, our, our job that whole day was to go door to door in this community in Maine. I may, it probably, probably I'd never go there again in my life because we I was a student at New Brunswick Bible Institute. And our job was to knock on doors, hand them a piece of paper, and invite them to some local, uh, I don't know, some special meetings, I think it was, with Ed Seeley. I think that was our job. That's, that was it. Hello, we're... Uh, like to invite you down to such and such church here this Saturday night for some special meetings. <clears throat> Not this guy. Jay was to take the first door, I was to take the second door. Jay was to take the third door, I was to take the fourth door. Jay took the first ten doors. Because I wasn't going to do I'm like, you kidding me? I'm not going to do that. I was scared out of my skin. Of course, it didn't help that on door number three had dog just about took my leg off, or at least tried to. I, it's amazing how fast the big guys can run when they really want to. I'll tell you that much. I was even high-stepping, too. Just, uh, uh, I was scared out of my mind. And I didn't even have to like engage them spiritually about their souls. I had a pretty easy job, really, it's, you know, as I look back. But we're to do the work in evangelist. You know, some of you have probably heard of Dr. Vance Havner. He's with the Lord now. He had a way of kind of, I don't know, saying things. This is what he said. The average Christian is like the river in the Arctic Circle, frozen at the mouth. <laughs> and I've been frozen at the mouth, trust me, believe me. But friends, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let me ask you a question. Are you doing the work of an evangelist? There's, you can make excuses till the cows come home. I'm asking, do you have a passion for souls? Charles Spurgeon said, if you have no desire for this... Uh, oh, boy, I just lost it. If you have no... Oh, dear. I never thought I'd forget that quote by Charles Spurgeon. Oh, yeah. Have you no desire for people to be saved? Then you are not saved yourself. You can be sure of that. Have you, no, have you no desire for, 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 for people to be saved? Then, you're, then you, I just said it, now I forgot again. That you, you're not saved, you can be sure of that. Uh, some guy, Sam, I forget his name now, doesn't matter. He said, if you never speak of your religion, perhaps it's because you have no religion to speak of. Has it been months, has it been years since you verbally communicated the gospel of Jesus Christ to somebody outside the four walls of this building? If that's the case, the, the goal is not for you to be comfortable at this moment. Because the Bible says to do the work of evangelist. Now, it doesn't say quit your job and start a full-time evangelism ministry. That's not what it says. It says to do the work of an evangelist. To, how do you do the work of an evangelist? You tell people about Jesus Christ. You, you don't have to, you know, I, I know a guy... I know a guy, he went out on his lunch break every day and he knocked on three doors. And he would just go out and you say, Kirk, I'm not knocking on doors. All right, fine, don't knock on doors. Uh, find a place, go to the, I don't know, stand outside a movie theater Saturday nights at 9 p.m., pass out gospel tracks. Uh, I would encourage you to take one to two hours out of a week and do the work of an evangelist. Don't do it by yourself because you'll last about 30 minutes, and then you'll quit. Uh, go with a friend, 
and do the work of an evangelist. Stand, I, I encourage people to stand, to go to the same place as frequently as they can. So if it's every Friday after work or every Saturday morning at the farmer's market or every Saturday evening outside the movie theater or every Monday night outside the bingo hall or every Tuesday afternoon outside the bowling alley, I don't care where it is, but just, just stand there and smile and pass out gospel tracts. This is one way to do it. And eventually somebody will ask you, somebody will ask you, hey, I've seen you here several times. What, what is this all about? A person has just asked you why you're there. And then you say, hey, I'm a Christian and this is the good news of Jesus Christ. You ever think about what's going to happen to you when you take your last breath or something to that effect? And, and by the way, if this interests you, I'm not just trying to throw you out to the dogs, uh, feel free to, to pick my brain, to pick John's brain. We'll, we'll give you some helpful hints to help in any, any way that we can. I was quite encouraged this week. I, I was talking to a friend of mine. Uh, this friend of mine is pretty bold evangelist, and, and he's been preaching the gospel for 41 years, 34 of those last 41 years, in a full-time itinerant ministry around the world. And he said the first time he went out, this will encourage some of you if, you're, if the thoughts just petrify you, uh, he said the first time he went out, he was in college, he was, he was pretty raw, he didn't know nothing. He said the only verse of the Bible I knew, the only verse, not, not exaggerating, was John 3.16. And so he went out and he was passing out tracks with his buddy at college and, and a person came up to him and said, what's this all about? And he said, well, we're telling people about Jesus and the good news, the eternal life through, through Jesus Christ. Oh yeah, oh, why do I need that? And he's like, uh, uh, I don't know, but I do know John 3.16. So he stands there and he quotes John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever He forgot the verse. He forgot his only verse. And this, this guy's been preaching the gospel now for 41 years. He's telling me this, and I'm like, no way. And he's like, yeah, whosoever, uh, and the person he's talking to goes, believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And he goes, yeah, yeah, that's that, just what you said. <laughs> and that was his first experience. And you know what it did? It made him hang his head. And it made him realize that he failed. And he went back to his dorm and he studied harder. And God used that experience to mold him and to strengthen him. And I, it, I'm going to be honest, if you think you're going to go out there and you're never going to be dumbfounded with your words and you're always going to have an answer for every human being that you come across, you're deceiving yourselves. You will not fail 100% of the time. You will go back and you will say, man, I failed. And it will drive you to your knees in prayer and it will drive you to your Bible to study, to show yourself approved unto God. And you do that enough times and all of a sudden you find you do start having some answers. So, so be encouraged that uh, if you think, if the, if the goal here was to never fail, well, it would never get done. It's just as simple as that. It's just as simple as that. We're to do the work of evangelist. Boy, I had, I had some stuff that I wanted to read for you from Thomas Boston. Thomas Boston's been dead for almost uh, 300 years now. Man, I'm not going to have time to go through this because uh, that's too bad. What are we to say? Well, number one, that the gospel is a report from heaven of the salvation for poor sinners from sin and from the wrath of God. These are things that must be communicated. Number two, the gospel is a report of a crucified Christ made over to sinners as 
the device of heaven for their salvation. This is the way people talked 300 years ago. The gospel number three is a report of a righteousness wherein we guilty ones may stand before a holy God. Number four, the gospel is a report of a pardon under the great seal of heaven in Christ to all who will take it in him. Number five, their gospel is a report of a physician that cures infallibility, infallibly the diseases of the soul and freely and rejects uh, ooh, and freely and rejects no patience. Number th- six, the gospel is a report of a feast for hungry souls to which all are bid welcome. Christ Himself being the Maker and the Matter of it too. Number seven, the gospel is a report of a treasure. Number eight, the gospel is a report of a victory won by Jesus Christ over sin, death, Satan, and the world. And lastly, the gospel is a report of a peace purchased by the blood of Christ for poor sinners. That's just, well, I meant to flesh that out a little bit more, but for sake of time, we'll just do that. And if you want, uh, it's a free PDF. If you want, the, want it, just send me an email. I'll send it to you or something. But uh, a report from heaven, it's called, by Thomas Boston. Somebody said, and I don't think it's too trivialized, to say that evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where the bread is. You know, we, we, we really do need to be communicating the gospel message, friends. And it's not a, it's not a I got to, you know, oh, I got to go out and do this. It's a, I get to. Man, Jesus has been so kind to set me free. I love that little verse in Acts. I think it's in Acts 4, but it might not be. I, didn't, I don't have the reference written down. But it says, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Right? In other words, if I've been changed by the power of the gospel, I'm going to have a desire to tell others about that. And again, equipped, obviously, that uh, Friday night Bible study every, fr- every other Friday night is a good place to start for sure. Um, this Friday night, I think they're having it. Uh, and last but not least, we're to be watchful, sober-minded. Number two, we're to endure inflictions. Number three, we're to do the work of an evangelist. And number four, we're to make full proof of your ministry or uh, fulfill your ministry. The idea here is to it's to do it to the best of your ability, to not just do a half, half job, but to pour yourself into it. Kind of like you would pour yourself into if you were starting a business. Now, I don't know if you know somebody, surely everybody in the room knows somebody who started a business. Everybody that I know who has started a business, including my own father, it's basically a seven-day-a-week job. It don't, don't, don't even try, don't even think about starting your own business unless you're going to be willing to work seven days a week. Of course, you know, making time for the Lord's house and, and family, obviously. But it, it's, it's a lot of work. I mean, you've got to be all in. And that's, that's the idea here. That's the idea, to make full proof of your ministry. If you're going to go about serving the Lord, then, then all in. Like, like do it. Go, go. That's, I guess all in is the most... Uh, most clear thing I can think of. Let's go to Romans 15. I'm going to look up a couple more Bible verses before we quit here. Let's go to Romans chapter 15. Make full proof of your ministry. Fulfill the fulfill the by the way, your ministry is not my ministry or his ministry or her ministry. 
You say, oh, Kirk, you know, I'm, uh, I'm up in my 70s now. I'm, I'm in my 80s. I don't, my knees can't stand out there passing out tracks for hours on end, especially when December, January. I hear you. I hear you. So, so your ministry might be slightly different than the, your next-door neighbor's ministry or my ministry. You've got a ministry of prayer. You've got a ministry of praying, not just... Can you, you know what I mean when I say you can pray evangelism, right? Like you can, you can pray, not Lord, help Ethel because her back is really hurting, and I'm not against those prayers, but Lord, show Ethel that she is a sinner. Show Ethel that she is, is, is not okay the way she is. Show my brother Rob, Lord, show him that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And bring, Lord, bring somebody by my sister's path today to share the gospel with my sister, maybe on her lunch break or maybe after work at the gym or maybe as she's walking to the movie theater tonight with her husband, maybe somebody will hand her a gospel check. Pray evangelistically. Pray, pray specifically that God would use somebody to reach people with the gospel. I think that's part of doing the work of an evangelist. That's got to be part of it, at least. Let's look at verse 19. Through mighty signs, Romans 15, 19, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, I, I, wish, I hope I didn't minimize the power of the Spirit of God in this message. If you try to go out in the power of your flesh, I got news for you. <laughs> you're going to fail. And you're probably never going to do it again. But if you go out in the power of the Holy Spirit, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Though, the, uh, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, uh, uh, I have fully preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Fully preached. He's making full proof of his ministry. Let's go over to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4 will likely be our last verse this morning. No promises on that. Colossians chapter 4. I forget, was it Thomas Watson? One of the Puritans prayed every day, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyelids. Stamp eternity on my eyelids. So every time he blinked, he wanted to see eternity, 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 eternity. People are dying without Christ. People do not know Jesus Christ in a personal way. And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father but by me. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. That's a great verse if you're going to do the work of an evangelist. All my state shall Tychicus declare to you. Tell us about Tychicus there, uh, Paul. He's a beloved brother. What else is he? He's a faithful minister. What else is he? He's a fellow servant in the Lord. I believe Tychicus is an example of having a full ministry, of, of, 
a full report, of, uh, a, to be foolproof, fulfill all the requirements, leaving nothing undone. Friends, I, I, know, I know that everybody's not like me. I get that. I get that. Actually, that's a good thing. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be a part of a group that was all like me, nor would you probably want to be a part of a group that was all like you. But the word today is fourfold as we turn back to 2 Timothy chapter number 4. Number one, watch and be sober-minded in all things. Number two, endure afflictions. Number three, do the work of an evangelist. And number four, make full proof of your ministry. Do not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, friends. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Do you believe that? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness, your grace, your gospel. Lord, I think sometimes of the gospel as a torch that's been handed from generation to generation to generation to generation. To think that the very gospel that Paul preached all over Asia, Europe, parts of northern Africa, these places, Lord, he preached, he preached, he, he shared, he devoted his life to your work. And God, as a result, there were people converted. There were people powerfully translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And those people were not ashamed of the gospel. They preached and they told, sowed seed. And they sowed and they prayed and they worked. And literally this went on for 2,000 years. And here we are. And here we are. So thank you for those who've gone ahead of us. Lord, help us not to drop the torch. Help us not to let the torch die out in our hands. Help us to, with joy and with wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to pass the torch onto the next generation that they too might know what it means to love and obey and cherish and worship and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. God, help us not to be ashamed of the gospel. Help us, I pray God, every one of us, from the youngest to the oldest, help us, every one of us, to watch in all things, to be sober-minded in all things, and to endure afflictions, and to do the work of the evangelist, and to make full proof, or to fulfill our ministry. Not for our glory, but for yours. We love you. We thank you for this exhortation to our hearts, and challenge us not just for an hour on Sunday morning, but to challenge us throughout this week to maybe memorize 2 Timothy 4, verse 5, and to put it into practice. Lord, you're so good. You're so patient. You're so loving. You're so gracious. Help us not just to be hearers of the word, but doers also. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.